Uh, we're going to be talking transmission and regional energy markets with David Mindham on this week's Renew Guru. Hello out there in podcast world. This is Renew Gurus, your source for all things energy policy and politics in Missouri and beyond. I'm executive director of Renew Missouri, James Owen, coming to you live on tape from our palatial studios in beautiful Northern Columbia. Also joining me uh, from our palatial studios is our producer, Philip Frasica. Hey, Philip, what's up? Oh, not much. How's it going? Well, it's going great. But enough of that chit-chat. Let's get to our guest. He's been waiting patiently. He's been generous with his time. Um, we uh, we have on his, at his secret undisclosed location, <laughs> uh, David Mindham. David, uh, how are you? Am I saying your name correctly? That is correct. It's David Mindham, and I am doing well. Okay. Now, I understand you are with, um, you are, I understand, you are with EDP Renewables. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Is that a private group? Yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's a large renewable developer. I think by way of volume, we're the fourth largest renewable energy producer in the world. Wow. Uh, we focus on wind, solar, storage, hydrogen, offshore wind. We do it all. And. You do do it all. Do you, do you have like uh, any kind of significant footprint here in Missouri by any chance? We do not. Missouri is like, if you look at our footprint, there's one big gap and it's the state of Missouri, but we're, we're looking to uh, rectify that situation very quickly. Is it because our laws and policies are bad here and we need to be working on those or what, or what is it? Is it just like the opportunity hasn't presented itself? There's a lot of things going on. Um, we started in the United States as a, a wind developer mostly. Mm-hmm. And the best wind region is kind of the west and north of Missouri. Uh, and now we're trying to sneak into the state uh, to, to develop uh, wind and solar. Yeah. And what is it that you do for EDP renewables? Um, I lead the market and regulatory affairs and kind of the transmission policy teams for North yeah. America. Um, so under, under that, we cover um, uh, RTO, ISO policy. We cover state commission policy and we cover federal policy uh, when it comes to renewables and wholesale markets. Are you a lawyer? I am not. I'm an engineer by background. Engineer. And yet, you know, all of these things about policy. Yeah. yeah was, I started is that what you envisioned for yourself? <laughs> I spent several years uh, kind of on the engineering side of interconnecting new resources to the grid, um, working for a, a transmission company, electric transmission company. Um, and I just had an act for the policy. So I, I switched over about no, six, seven years ago. And now I do full policy full time. Wow. So that must be why you kind of know a lot about interconnection and transmission is because that is sort of your technical and professional background is in the actual nuts and bolts and guts of this stuff. Yeah, um, that's that's right. I've done it all. Um, I've actually brought about three gigawatts of resources and every uh, online in the Midwest uh, through kind of both my engineering background and kind of this policy job now. I mean, everything from we redid the pumped hydro, the huge pumped hydro plant in Michigan, um, to win solar storage, everything. Dang, that's crazy. <laughs> um, it's a really so, <laughs> so you know a lot, so you know a thing or two about SPP and MISO. Um, can you explain a little bit to our listeners? I mean, we have talked about this subject before. I've had uh, Simon Mayen on with the Southeast Renewable Energy Association who knows this stuff really well too. Um, but we were kind of talking about the the other theme that is kind of going on with energy policy, which is the Southeast energy market. 
which isn't really a market. We've talked about that. So uh, we, we have kind of delved into this, but kind of for our listeners, talk a little bit about what SVP and MISO do. Sure. Um, so these all started, you know, a few decades ago, you, groups of utilities got, got together. Um, and in Missouri, with the ones I'm really referring to would be like Ameren and Evergy. Um, yeah. But they, they got together with other utilities and they found that there was a huge benefit economically if they started sharing their resources um, across their utility footprints. Uh, yeah. And that kind of morphed into, um, well, we should do this in larger and larger regions with more utilities. And the more we share um, and create markets for the lowest cost energy across the entire footprint, the more benefit there is to customers. And so those kind of loose arrangements formed into what we call now regional transmission organizations or wholesale markets, which would be your MISO and SPP in Missouri. Right. Um, yeah, and, and they brought in some other functions after that where joint transmission planning, um, so they've got wholesale markets, capacity sharing, uh, just a bunch of, of value adds to customers in kind of a, an organized way. Because the basic concept of this is these utilities are members of these organizations. And within those organizations, like let's say, for example, and this is a very simplified version of this, say Ameren ends up producing power they can't really use because they don't have the demand at the time but there is some other utility in that market that needs it, that SVP, well, or MISO in the case of like, let's say Ameren, because we'll get into those distinctions here in a minute about the challenges we have in this state, they would be able to then uh, sell that at some sort of kind of, like it's kind of an auction. It's sort of a reverse auction a little bit, like whatever it's the lowest, most competitive price, I think. Um, I mean, that's the general idea, isn't it? That's what happens with these marketplaces. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because in, in this, in your scenario, Ameren would have two choices. They could turn on a really expensive plant that they own, or if they were short, or they could try to buy that power at a cheaper price from somebody else in kind of the real time or time frame, um, which just lowers costs for everybody. And they have legal obligations to make sure they're getting this stuff at the cheapest rate. They have to like produce this or buy it at the cheapest rate possible, typically. Yep, that's that's right. Yeah. So, right. So that's kind of what happens. I mean, because I know that back in early 2021 and the incident we know as in the biz as Winter Storm Uri happened. And I heard a lot of people on social media when Kansas City and Springfield, Missouri and Joplin were being told, oh, SPP is telling these utilities they got to like <laughs> start like, you know, kind of maybe preparing for blackouts. Uh, everyone was like, who are these people? And why are they telling us to do this? And like everyone kind of freaked out just because they, you know, they didn't really realize, or I don't think there's a lot of education out there with the general public that their utility is a member of this organization. Um, but it actually is, I mean, really in like 99% of, of, the, of the time, good for customers that they're part of these groups. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And and the other thing is is the the RTOs such as SPP um, are in charge of regional reliability. Yeah. Um, so they're not they're not picking on somebody. They're they're trying to keep <laughs> the system going. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in the hole. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, there are periods when sometimes that means somebody has to lose power or yeah to keep the greater good going. In extreme situations. In extreme situations. not shouldn't be a common occurrence. <laughs> yeah. Although extreme situations seem like in our world these days, maybe might be more and more common. But 
Well, we're, we're, yeah, I mean, that's, that's another topic as well. Um, and these also, I mean, it should be pointed out, these organizations are regulated at the federal level. The utilities involvement with them is regulated at the state level. Like, so when Ameren and Evergy and Liberty Empire have things going on with their RTO, uh, I mean, they have to like go get, they have to go talk to regulators about that. There are those instances. So this is not just some wild, wild west situation. No, that's exactly right. And actually both of these organizations have committees that are just made up of state commissioners to help Mm -hmm. provide input into, into their actions. Yeah. So, yeah. And so, and, and kind of, we, we've been talking about SPP and MISO. I mean, one thing that we always try to emphasize here in Missouri, we do have two of these organizations existing in our state. If you largely are on the Eastern side of the state, MISO is the market. If you're on the Western side of the state, SPP is your market. That's not precise, but that's pretty close. And then, but then we also have the co-ops, which are members of neither of those organizations <laughs> and they produce their own power, but they have, they are, I think, uh, I don't, I have a kind of lost track of this, but the Southeast energy, energy exchange market is up and running. It's kind of starting. I don't know what's going on with that. I'll be completely honest. <laughs> still, there's still some legal hurdles for the, yeah. the Southeast energy market before they, they get to implementation, I believe. Right. But Associated Electric, which is the wholesale power supplier for the co-ops here in Missouri, as well as eastern Oklahoma and parts of southern Iowa, the idea is they will be a part of that. But that is, again, not really a marketplace because they're really just kind of trading between utilities. And there's not really like the there's not really the transparency or the kind of like bidding that you would usually define a marketplace with. But again, go look in our archives for that conversation um <laughs> now because another thing you know so like they have these two organizations big thing they're trying to i mean you know big thing they deal with is transmission uh but also like but companies like yours will sell power onto the grid tell power onto these transmission lines and so like that's available to utility companies as well right and, yeah um so we enter either we sell power in a couple different ways um, one is we'll enter a long-term contract to, to with an Ameren or an Evergy or, or an off-taker to sell power over a certain period from a specific plant, you know, usually 15 to 20 years. Um, also, we can sell power directly into a wholesale market, um, kind of avoiding the, the, the long-term contract. Um, but both options are, are ways of kind of introducing power into these markets. And transmission plays a big part of that. Transmission is the biggest part of it because um, our, our plants are often located in, um, well, for wind example, as for example, it's located in really good wind resources, but we need mm-hmm. a way to get those really good wind resources to the load centers, which would be the, the St. Louis's and the, the Kansas City metro areas. And to do that, we need trans- high voltage transmission. How would you say currently, you know, because it sounds like you're doing a lot of work with these organizations, you're doing a lot of work with policy leaders, how would you say the transmission um, environment is right now in Missouri, like between these two markets? Uh, I would categorize it as very stressed. <laughs> <laughs> and why is it stressed? Is it because there's not enough transmission? Is it because the transmission lines that we have are no good or like they don't, they can't handle the power being put on them? I mean, what would you, what would you say is, was, is one of the reasons this is so stressed right now? 
Well, I, I probably highlight a few reasons. Okay. One, one is these, these RTOs, SPP and MISO, they do transmission planning as part of their functions where we need to build out transmission most appropriately. Yeah. But they do it in a, their own bubble. SPP plans for the SPP system, MISO plans for the MISO system, which would be, and then that puts a, a line basically down the middle of Missouri where transmission isn't getting built across that scene. Um, and what we need, I mean, to fix that situation is we need yeah. those organizations to work, which they've started to do, to plan yeah. transmission across, across, we call it interregionally. Yeah. So it's a matter of like, say in states, because we're not the only state that has multiple uh, markets operating here, but I mean, you identified these seams where SPP is operating on one side, MISO is operating on the other side, and traditionally, historically, there has not been cohesion between those two markets. Yeah, um, and that's, I mean, that's a lot of ways a product of the amount of renewable energy that's coming on the system. Um, the geographic diversity is something we haven't had as much of a need for in the past. But as we transition to more renewable energy, we need additional transmission and planning to be more regional, regionally done so that we can get that power to the load. And, and right now, utility scale solar, utility scale wind is traditionally happening in very rural areas, sparsely populated areas, and they have to be delivered to where people live and where people are going to use it. And uh, we also find there are some political and cultural issues that go along with that too. <laughs> um, so you, I, my understanding is, was involved with uh, some review and study to fix this problem, correct? Yeah, um, for the first time in, uh, in my, my career, I suppose, these organizations, my and SPP, have come up with a study and a plan to sort of fix this problem and allow additional renewable assets to come online in these regions and, and bring the power to Eastern Missouri and even further East. I um, mean, it's called the, the Joint Targeted Interconnection Queue Study. Q. Yeah. I think yeah. this is really bad when I was introducing you at the Advancing Renewables Conference, I was trying to like like pronounce that and I got flustered and I just said Q and I'm glad that's right. <laughs> Okay, sorry. Go. So this is that's the study. It's like the JTIQ, yeah. like JTIQ. <laughs> I, I don't know why. I don't know if it's like got a. I don't know if it's got like short term shorthand parlance or anything like that. But okay, so this study. How are you involved with this? I mean, okay, so obviously this was SPP and MISO. They were involved with it. What did you do? So. As renewable developers, there's, the way that we traditionally bring renewable assets online is that they do a study of the impacts of that renewable generator on the, the transmission system. Uh, and then that study identifies transmission upgrades that are needed, and you can't come online until those transmission upgrades are in place. So this study flipped that idea and said, we need to build transmission um, in, ahead of the renewable energy coming online because it, it served as a bottleneck in all this process because transmission can take five plus years to build, whereas a renewable energy asset can take one to two years to come online. Um, so we couldn't wait for the transmission to come online. It would, it would kill the projects. Um, right. So now this study looks at it ahead of time. What are the transmission that needs to come online so that we can bring renewable assets on, on, online? And we had several roles in that. I mean, we've, we've identified transmission upgrades that are needed for projects. 
Um, and we just, in general, advocated for this kind of flipped approach to bring the transmission on ahead of the renewable energy, uh, just yeah. to bring it quicker. Yeah, and I mean, so how long did this study take? I mean, you obviously had to gather up a lot of smart people, busy people. Uh, how long did it take for you all to look at this? Yeah, and uh, I mean, it was the RTO staffs that largely ran the studies, um, mm. and they have a lot to do. So it took them a year and they're still trying to keep the lights on all while doing all of these other functions and running yeah. markets. And I mean, this is just a part of what they do, um, but it's taken them a year. They've identified the studies or identified the transmission assets that need to come online. Um, so they're really entering the last phase of the studies, which is dealing with cost allocation. Who's going to pay for this transmission? Right. Because I mean, like I'm, I'm looking at a summary of this. I mean, this report, has identified seven possible projects. Um, and that would allow up to 53 gigawatts of power that would be interconnected. So these seven, according to this, would cost $1.8 billion. Seems like a lot of money. But so, yeah, so, but I mean, so like, I guess that's the question I have is, yeah, who does pay for this? Um, traditionally, generation paid for all of these transmission upgrades that they caused. Um, mm -hmm. So as we brought our projects online, it was sort of, we pay it and then it was sort of capitalized in the capital cost of the project. I see. Um, and, and, um, so we're not proposing to change that, to tweak that much. Um, there might be some cost sharing kind of with loads, load pays for the rest of the transmission system now. Mm -hmm. um, to the right. fact that these are really large transmission lines and there might be multiple parties that benefit, not just the generator that's coming online. Um, so the, I think the, the proposal out there, and this is not finalized, is that the generation would pay for a lot of it as it comes online, but part of it would probably be paid in a more traditional um, way with load um, in through your, your retail rates. That, and that base, that base load is essentially like the amount of power that has to be like available at all times to make sure people have power available to them. Yeah, as part of, yeah. Yeah, as part of their retail rates, um, they, you have a transmission component, and that would that would it'd be added into that. So it's kind of like the, the the guarantee that your power can get to you part of your bill. Yeah. As a reminder, folks, there's three different kind of ways we have to like identify issues with energy. There's the generation part, the transmission part, and the distribution part. So this is this is all part of that. So. Okay, so part of this is going to be paid for by load, part of this is going to be paid for by companies like yours that, because you all have to get permission to, to hook into these transmission lines from the from these markets. That's usually the interconnection agreements have to be approved by them, right? Yes. Yep, and right now that's behind because you don't have enough transmission projects. So this benefits you, your company, to be able to have these extra transmission lines, maybe help speed up that process of getting your systems online, right? Yeah, and really the problem breaks down to is the single project that comes online that, that causes a transmission constraint has to pay for the entire upgrade under the current construct, which a single project can't bill, can't pay a you know, $100 million network upgrade, which is what we call transmission upgrades, by itself. Um, so those projects would have to leave the queue because they can't finance that and it would cause dropouts. And these, the, the way that the interconnection queue is processed, it's kind of done serially. So if this project drops out, the next project is now faced with that upgrade, it can't pay for it, it drops out. 
And it causes all the projects to drop out and causes substantial delays in processing of renewable energy. Um, there are projects that are perfectly viable. And under this new construct that this is coming, we're gonna have the transmission first, um, which should speed along the process of bringing renewable energy online. Um, because as you connect, you just pay your share of, of that network upgrade and you can come online in a much quicker fashion. Right. Now we try to talk about how these get paid. Who, who builds them? Who would build these transmission lines? Um, so that's, that's a little bit up in the air. Normally it would be, um, <laughs> there's, there's a couple of regulatory processes right now. And one of them is some of the project could be subject to competitive solicitations. Huh. Um, um, but I think most of them would largely probably be built by the incumbent utility in the area. So if a project connected, let's say, one into Evergy and one into Ameren, Evergy would build half the project and Ameren would build half the project. Right. Together. And there are also private companies that build transmission. And I, one example that might be familiar to our listeners is Invenergy, who is, who is working on the Grain Belt Express. Um, which, by the way, David, I'm not sure you know, but like at 3.30 in the morning, and I know, Philip, I know we're not supposed to timestamp these, but last night, 3.30 in the morning, the Missouri Senate reached a compromise on like basically allowing uh, increases to um, uh, e easement purchases. And that I think might be what settles the Grain Belt Express issue with the Missouri legislature. So that's good news, I guess. And they're not going to stop it from being built. <laughs> um, but so, I mean, but there are private companies that do it too, that, that build transmission lines. So that's possible. You said that kind of independent, those kind of those solicited bids and that sort of thing, that would be who would be bidding on that, right? Yeah, there, there are competitive transmission builders. What 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 the Grain Belt Express does is kind of complementary to what to what we're doing here. Yeah. This kind of, our projects break down the seam. That's really about transferring huge amounts of power through a single line across the region. Right. Because I think the idea of that is that kind of starts near Dodge City, Kansas, goes across Kansas, goes across. Missouri, Illinois gets to Indiana and then kind of like that's going to be distributed out to the PJ&M, another probably market that you deal with. Yes. But there is going to be some of that that's going to be sold um, here in Missouri to the municipal utilities. And that's kind of a deal that helped them get approval for that as a utility because it is actually going to benefit some Missourians. But I mean, are those those are called merchant lines, essentially, right? Is that what these are, the ones that are built outside of utilities? Yeah. So this is largely out of the RTO process, planning process. Yeah. I mean, other than they have to the, determine the reliability of the system with it online. Um, this is an independent, that's an independent company taking on an incredible amount of risk, to be frank, to develop yeah. a line on its own to try to create um, value of moving renewables across the larger region. And I mean, as far as like how much this is going to cost, I mean, how much, I mean, I, you know, I'm kind of looking at some of the summary on this. I mean, what, what, if, what has this study been able to estimate that this might, how this might benefit customers in addition to it being, you know, a solution to put less stress on the grid, is this going to have the potential to save customers any money? Yeah, that's right. Especially with the cost sharing construct that we have with the generation taking on a lot of the costs, um, the amount of cost that the, the load will take on directly from, from this transmission is pretty low, but it'll bring on a lot of zero cost marginal energy, which wind and solar, once the plants are on, um, have no marginal cost. Right. Um, so that'll lower consumers' energy bills substantially. 
because I'm reading this and the summary says that these projects have uh, that these projects are estimated to deliver 724.2 million and 246.7 million of adjusted production cost savings to customers in MISO and SPP, respectively. That's a lot of money. (laughs) And even, I mean, as you mentioned earlier with uh, Winter Storm Uri, um, the other advantage that these transmission lines are, these regions are going to be better connected. So if there's a shortfall in SPP or MISO and you have to start shedding load, we can import power from other regions through these transmission lines to meet that short-term need and not dump load. So is this study, I mean, does it have to be adopted by anybody? Has it been adopted by anybody? Like what, what has to be done now with your work? Yeah, eventually they'll have to go up to the boards of the respective organizations for final approval. Uh-huh. Um, and that cost allocation is kind of ironed out. You know, and then they'll issue what's um, called notices to construct or a, a solicitation of some sort um, to go into construction phase. And then after that, after that approval, it's still a problem. It has to go through kind of the state processes for citing and approval of the, of the actual physical transmission lines. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, I, you know, cause it's one thing I spent a lot of time thinking about from my perspective, working in Jefferson city, working in front of the public service commission is that there's a lot, there is developing a lot of resistance to these transmission. I mean, well, there's a lot of resistance to, there's been resistance to wind. There has been resistance to transmission. We are starting now to see resistance to utility scale solar in parts of the state. We have a situation um, just east of here in Columbia, in Callaway County, where there has been some opposition lodged to a utility scale solar project by another company. <laughs> I won't say who, <laughs> but there, but there is a lot of, but there is a lot of political resistance to these things. I mean, is this something that you think, even with these savings, even with the need for this, that, I mean, that we're still going to have to, I mean, you know, I'm trying to figure out the way to put this because I mean, ultimately, (laughs) eminent domain is going to get used to build these things. But that tends to rub some lawmakers and some policymakers the wrong way. And they're the ones that are in charge right now. So how do you overcome that? I mean, you have any sense of like what helps this? Is is this something that we believe can be addressed and fixed, or was just like it says something? There's just going to be a constant fight. Um, they're going to be a constant fight. There are some kind of actions coming out of the federal government right now, which takes yeah. some, gives some federal authorities to kind of cite transmission lines that may be helpful here, um, especially when they're broad regional benefits like like these types of projects bring. Um, I don't think you completely overcome any kind of resistance no matter what. I mean, there's right. at the core, there's some there's some valid reasons to, to question transmission, right? Sure. I mean, there, there are. I mean, we just have to sell this as um, the benefits on reliability um, and the benefits on, on economics. Because I, I think if we get into a situation where we start having more extreme events, people will understand the value of transmission in a way that they haven't before. And I just yeah. hope we can get there. Yeah. Cause I mean, you know, I mean, here we are sitting here, it's well over a year since this big winter storm and we are seeing now, or I think some customers are seeing now the price shock that is going into certainly with natural gas and fuel costs, they're starting to see, you know, really high rates 
And it's all because we, um, I mean, in my opinion, it's because we um, have this reliance on fuels that, you know, I, all I hear about is reliability of coal and natural gas, but that's what, that's what failed us, <laughs> in my opinion, um, during that storm. And that's what we're, we're eating that cost now, because we're talking about billions of dollars that was expended during that, but like we could be spending this money now to avoid problems, which is also hard to sell people on that you've, you've, you, you've done something preventative. That's hard to get people excited about. Is that, that's been my experience. I mean, so you hope that people can understand that we, that, you know, this crisis should not be repeated. That's exactly right. And a big part of this position that I'm in is to try to sell that story. Yeah. Um, regulators and kind of the general public. Yeah. So I, with the general public, I mean, do you know of any resources that are out there that are good educational, you know, opportunities for people who are kind of generally interested in this, but don't have a lot of technical background? I mean, is there like ways that people can kind of like wrap their head around this? Because this is very, the seeming concept is very, I mean, this is very technical. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you've done a good job of explaining it in very basic terms, but it is, the, the nuances of it are pretty insurmountable. <laughs> what do you think it's going to take for people to get educated about that? Yeah. And you add on the complexity of how this is regulated with multiple jurisdictions and it, yeah. it, it gets mind boggling pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, there are some, some of our associations, the renewable energy associations are putting out informational like tidbits on this. Um, I'm, we probably need to do more, I think, as an industry to, to sell or to give resources out to the general public. Um, on these issues. Uh, I don't have a, a great resource for you off the top of my head, but I'm, I'm sure we could track down something. Yeah, fine. And we're going to share uh, the Utility Drive. I uh, did a really nice article about this. And I think that's like ultimately what got, well, okay, folks, uh, last week we did the Advancing Renewables Conference in Columbia. David was one of our presenters, Daniel Hall, former chair of the Public Service Commission, interviewed him for about 50 minutes. And we had a really great conversation about this. And that all kind of came about because we, I have been kind of following this and the PSCs here in Missouri and the KCC in Kansas, the Kansas Corporation Commission there have been kind of looking at these issues too. So Daniel Hall has been really involved with that as well. Um, and so we said, oh, we should get someone in here to talk about this. <laughs> and we were going to do this uh, last week while David was in Columbia, but it just, we, we didn't have time because it was just really busy. And I guess my final thought, in addition to trying to educate people, like now that we get this problem solved, what uh, what what's the next thing we should be tackling? What's the next thing we should be worried about as far as this stuff goes from your perspective? Yeah, I, I don't know that we have this solved. <laughs> okay. Well, once we, once we've identified this, what are some other things we should be panicked about? <laughs> yeah, there, we need to do a better job of planning across the entire United States transmission. Uh, we really need to capitalize on the geographic diversity, uh, you know, the, the great solar resources we have in the Southwest with the great wind resources we have here and even all the way to the offshore resources we have and build a macro transmission overlay that yeah. benefits everybody in the entire U.S. Um, that's, that's the priority right now. And I would say that's the biggest hindrance to renewable development at kind of the grid scale. Um, and then we, we do need to, to do some changes within kind of the wholesale market to bring in, to encourage more storage and other resources that can complement renewable resources um, online too. It's never going to end. We're always going to have to be fighting something, right? 
lot of work. Um, yeah, David, I mean, do you have anything you need to promote or want to promote or to, to let people that might need to be aware of anything out there? You got anything or? I don't, I would just, I would just ask people to, uh, to, <laughs> to try to understand transmission and the need for it as we move forward. I just want to make sure people will get a chance to pitch something if they, if they waste their time being on this podcast. <laughs> so I always want to ask, <laughs> uh, well, David, again, thank you. Um, I appreciate your work on this. I appreciate you explaining it to me, explaining it to our audience. And I just want to say thank you for that. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening. We just want to remind you that if you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to us on all major podcast platforms, leave a review, share this on your social media platforms. If you have one, I just also want to make a quick pitch for us. Uh, we are um, we have rescheduled our movie and education series on the 2019 film Dark Waters. Uh, we will be doing that. Uh, we will be doing that uh, seminar in St. Louis at the WashU campus on June 3rd from one to four. Uh, we will be doing uh, the Kansas City event at on 6-8. That's a Wednesday at the Screenland Armor in North Kansas City from 1 to 4. And then finally at the Capital City Cinema in Jefferson City, Missouri from 1 to 4 on June 10th. So if you are interested in that, we'll be sending out the Eventbrite um, um, uh, 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 links to that on the email as well. You should have gotten one of those emails uh, about that earlier in the week. And we just want to thank you again for all of your support. And on behalf of everyone here at Renew Missouri, we just want to thank you and uh, be sure to take care of yourselves and each other.